Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them and that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast, the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can build, bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who were still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. You have given us what we need to know you. And I pray now that as your word has gone out, that you would use it for our good, that you would use it for our glory, that you would use it for the good of our city. And I pray that in our time together now, as we open your word, I pray that you would speak. I pray that only you would speak, that we would hear and that we would obey for the sake of Christ and his glory in us and through us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to invite you to take out your sermon notes that you received as you walked in. Should have been inside the little packet. Our practice here, if you're new to Trace Crossing, our practice here is to walk through Bible books from beginning to end, verse by verse. And we are currently walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. Last week, Pastor Landon began chapter 3, and he walked through the first 15 verses, and I'm going to be picking up this week in verse 16, and we're going to take it all the way through chapter 4, verse 3, as Eric just read. And here's something um, I do want to share right at the beginning. So uh, my wife and I just welcomed home our third son, so we now have three boys who are three and under, which means we don't sleep, and we're tired and we are addicted to coffee at a level I previously thought impossible and our boys uh, like most boys are rambunctious and they fight and they play and 
their little brother who's here in the front row making his debut uh, to Trace Crossing this morning. Uh, he is not immune to any of their fighting, and we have to really protect him. Honestly, I was, uh, the Thomases were asking how it's going, and I said, well, they're all still alive, so I, it's going well, as well as it can so far. So that's what we feel, honestly, at the end of every day. If everyone's alive and going to bed and we're well and we're not in the ER, it was a good day. So uh, we got to protect the little man from uh, Big Brother's pushes and hits and even though they love him they love him a little rough sometimes but something I have noticed with having uh, young boys is that an inner desire for justice and fairness and righteousness and to want things to be right that's not something you really have to learn that's something that's embedded in you from the time that you're born I, I feel like that um you know, as parents, oftentimes we are judge, jury, and executioner in so many ti- so many seasons and so many times in our children's lives, and uh, our boys especially. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times that Jude and Jack have been playing and everything's well, and five minutes later we sit down, and it's almost like that that little breath you take, you know, that little sigh, like you know you've been exhausted. You just go, <sighs> and you either get to eat breakfast or drink coffee or eat lunch, and then that's when the craziness happens, like as soon as everything seems to be calm. And that's when we'll hear Jude and Jack fighting back and forth, and one of them, usually Jude, because he's bigger and stronger, will take a toy from his little brother, and then it's just devastation, crying and screaming. And Jack, he's not able to voice it yet, but Jude's able to, whenever it happens to him, he'll usually say something like, that's not fair, right? If you have kids, you you hear this on the daily that's not fair. And Jude loves fairness because even though he doesn't want judgment to come down on him, anytime we need to discipline his little brother, he'll look at us and say, I need to spank Jack. I need to, Jack, Jack, come here. Or he will just go and execute the justice himself and he will offer the spanking himself. See, even little kids, they crave for and they long for and sometimes they try to execute it themselves. They want justice. They want fairness. They want righteousness. It's embedded in us from the beginning. Well, our passage today, it's all about that inner desire that we have. You see, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, I believe, the entire book can be summed up as a lesson in wisdom on lamenting and longing. I believe the whole book of Ecclesiastes can be summed up in that. And you may have never thought of it in that way. It's a lesson in wisdom on lamenting and longing. You see, we oftentimes try to be really quick and say, well, yeah, he's he's seeing how bad the world is, but he's he's saying the world's that bad, and he's not really considering God in all of this. The preacher throughout this entire book is not really saying that at all. We're kind of putting that on him. And even though we may be right, he's just saying, look at the world. Just look at it. Don't, don't think about, you know, whatever your view of God is, it's irrelevant at this point. Just look at the world we live in. Isn't it bad? And he, and he kind of tries to take the rose-colored glasses off of our faces and say, do you see it for what it is? I know your life's really good, but look. Look over here. Look at this dumpster fire over here. And he's been revealing a number of different things, and he's been coming to the conclusion that everything in this world is vanity. It's vanity, it's vanity, it's vanity. It's fleeting, it's a mere breath. It can't provide the gain that you're looking for. 
And now he comes to chapter 3, verse 16. I can almost just see his heart break as he writes this. Verse 16, he says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And the way I'm going to unfold this passage this morning, I'm going to include verse 16 with chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. So our first point is going to be recognizing injustice and oppression in the world, and I'm going to deal with that. So let's look at chapter 4 and read verses 1 through 3. I think his heart's just breaking here. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And this is where the lamenting begins. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but I just wanted you to see it right here at the start. This is what Ecclesiastes is, a lesson in wisdom on lamenting and longing. Listen to this. And I thought that the dead who were already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. He's teaching us how to see a broken, fallen, messed up, chaotic world. He's teaching us how to see it and respond to it. How should a Christian respond to a broken, fallen, messed up, chaotic world where we see injustice at every corner? And we're going to get to it in a minute. So that's, that's the first point. That's how we're going to deal with that. Our second point, we're going to be looking right in that middle section, chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. And then our third point, we're going to jump all the way back to verse 17. That's how we're going to close today is looking at verse 17 on his answer to all of these problems. So first... What I want us to do is recognize injustice and oppression in the world. That's the first point in your notes. You see, the preacher is making yet another observation about the world as it is. It's unjust. But he doesn't just see injustice. Because we see injustice in a lot of different places. In the workplace, things that aren't fair. He's saying... Here's what's so bad about it. It's not just that I see injustice. I see injustice where I should see justice. In places where you walk in and you expect to find justice, he sees corruption. He sees wickedness. In our society, our court systems, that's what they're set up for, right? For the preservation of justice. And yet so many times, you leave a courtroom saying, that wasn't right. That's not right. He sees wickedness where he should see righteousness. You look at the family. You see a man, and you see a woman, and you see children, and there should be righteousness, there should be goodness, there should be beauty, there should be growth and development. We should see health. And so many times we look inside that institution, that dynamic that is God-ordained, and we see abuse. We see fathers who have power abusing that power, taking advantage of their children, taking advantage of their wives. 
That's why so many times, whenever a woman finally comes forward and confesses that she's being abused, you can bet it wasn't the first time that morning. It had been happening for months or years. So often that's the case. You see it in education, colleges, universities, public schools, private schools. You see it in churches, places where there should be justice, where there should be righteousness, places that should be safe. And you see people in power wielding their power for their own benefit and for the detriment of those who are vulnerable and those who are beneath them. He sees wickedness where he should see righteousness. He sees powerful people oppressing vulnerable people. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 1 again. It's almost like he can't get over it. He has to say it again in a different way. The language is so strong. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. (laughs) And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. You know, uh, I'm a Netflix junkie. I'm kind of ashamed to say that because there will be nights. And uh, if there are any other Netflix junkies in the room, you will identify with this. But there will be nights where, you know, you're just wanting to watch something just before you go to bed. Just to kind of wind down. I usually watch like The Office or something like that. Just to kind of wind down something funny. Just uh, hide something light. But every now and then you'll be scrolling through. And like you end up scrolling through for like five minutes because there are just so many options. But, you know, you see like an interesting documentary or like an interesting series or whatever. And you click on it and it's like, you know, eight episodes. And each episode's like an hour. And you know you're not going to watch the whole thing right like there's there's no way you would do that you're you're tired and you're going to go to bed and you're just going to lay there and you know you may even just fall asleep watching the you know the intro to it well you start it and you're like, oh man wow they you know they grab you right at the beginning you're like that is really interesting that's really interesting they're kind of unfolding the story and the really the really good ones they actually tell most of the story in the first episode so you know most of you know what's happening and so you know they unfold it and then before you know it, the episode ends. But right before it ends, there's like this cliffhanger, right? And you're, 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 now you're awake. Now, you, now you're more awake. And so you're like, well, I, you know, I've got to see what happens next. I'll just watch one more. And then like eight hours pass. And, you know, your wife's in the kitchen making coffee and you haven't slept at all. And the babies are crying. And now you don't have an excuse to just lay down and go back to sleep. Um, not that that ever happens to me. But, you know, you watch all those shows. Well, a number of them that I've seen um, have had to do with this idea of justice and injustice in the world. Um, there, there are a number of them where there's one in particular called The Keepers. And uh, I, I, would, I would exercise discretion on, on watching this uh, with teenagers. Um, but it's, it's a show about um, a nun who uh, tried to come forward with information about a priest who had been abusing uh, students in a school and then she was she was mysteriously killed and all that so it's like all this investigative work but the stories of the girls who encountered the abuse will break your heart because they fell under what what sociologists call authority bias where people in authority are always right you know if someone in authority says something they're telling the truth and the reason that they kept going back to this man is because the lies that he was telling them, they believed him. 
and they were abused time and time and time again. This man in power oppressing these vulnerable girls. And then you also have examples of, uh, in this documentary called How to Survive Prison, again, there's some discretion that would probably be necessary when deciding who would watch it, but How to Survive Prison. And there are all these encounters of men who commit crimes, who go into the judicial system and end up serving massive sentences because they're dirt poor and they can't afford good defense. There was one uh, person in the series who said, it's better to be rich and guilty than poor and innocent. When I, when I see shows like that, I looked in the place of justice. I looked in the place of righteousness and I found wickedness. I found corruption. I found injustice. We've seen it in our own nation as, as more and more examples of police brutality have been brought to the forefront of our nation. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer it. Just think in your head. Whenever you hear another story about the police abusing their power, is your first thought, I hate that, that's awful, or give me all the facts. I want to know everything before I make a decision. Or, or there are tons of good cops. Or do you look at people in power abusing their power and say, that's evil. That's evil. We have multiple examples in, in our hometown where we come from, southeastern Kentucky, poverty. Impoverished schools, impoverished homes, people who can't get out, people who can't find work, people who feel abandoned by their own government. Poverty, racism, genocide, slavery, sex trafficking all in a world with imperfect, flawed justice systems where people may or may not be held accountable. It may take years. In, in the documentary we were watching, How to Survive Prison, there was a guy who was accused of a crime he did not commit. He was accused of killing his mother. He served 26 years in prison, 10 of them in solitary confinement, only at the very end of it, find out he was innocent. But what's most unjust about his story is that 10 years in to his sentence, his father dies and leaves him an inheritance. Only then was he able to afford investigators who could do hard work to actually prove that he was innocent. Five or six years pass, and they finally, five or six years, folks, of daily being in a prison and knowing that you're innocent. And the investigators come up with enough, come up with enough to get a new trial, to go back. They publish the story in the LA Times, and it takes four years. He was a publicly known innocent man for four years before he was actually released from prison. I looked in places of justice 
and I found wickedness, injustice. But do you know what? You know the worst part? The worst part's found in chapter 4, verse 1. There was no one to comfort them. There was power on the side of the oppressors, and there was no one to comfort them. The worst part of all this is that injustice and oppression can't be stopped. Have you ever thought about that? Ever since Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden, there has been injustice and oppression in the world. And we've progressed as a society for however many years, and no one's been able to figure it out. We can't stop it. Because you can't stop sinful people from doing sinful things. Martin Luther, uh, commenting on this passage, he says this, says essentially the same thing. The preacher is not complaining because there is wickedness in the place of justice, but because the wickedness in the place of justice can't be stopped. It's overwhelming to think about it. It's, it's bad enough that you see injustice, but then whenever you think about, I can't change it, whenever you read stories of people who are serving time for crimes they didn't commit, and even the people that know that can't do anything to change it, or it takes years for that to happen, there's no comfort for the oppressed in this sense. There's no advocate so often for the vulnerable. Oh, you're poor? You can't afford a good attorney? You're poor? You can't afford investigators to do this work? You may be innocent, but we don't care. The quickest way to get through this trial, the quickest way to increase my conviction rate, is to just put you away. That's not justice, that's oppression. So, let me ask you, how does injustice and oppression make you feel? You, you, might, you might want to write down how it makes you feel. How does injustice and oppression actually make you feel? And there are many, many arenas of life. Like we've said, we've covered it, you know, the court system, uh, you know, encounters with evil police officers um, in the home abusive fathers, whatever clicks with you, abuses of power in churches or religious institutions, whatever clicks with you, when you see it, how do you feel? Do you feel sad? Are you angry? Are you kind of confused? Because maybe you think, well, that's not right. And that's not right, and that's not right. And that, how could God let this happen? Maybe you're confused. Or maybe you feel alone. Maybe you have suffered at the hands of an oppressor. Maybe you have suffered injustice. And maybe you just feel alone. Where was God? Where was God? No, I wanna, this is where we're getting into the practice of lament. C.S. Lewis has written a book that I highly encourage you to read. A lot of people haven't read it. It's called A Grief Observed. A Grief Observed. He initially wrote it under um, a pseudonym. And I'm not entirely sure whether he was uh, wanting it to be published in the first place. 
but he wrote it in response to his wife's death. And this is a grieving man pouring out his soul. It feels like a journal entry. And this is one thing that C.S. Lewis, renowned uh, Christian apologist and theologian and writer, Chronicles of Narnia, you know, doesn't get more Christian than C.S. Lewis. Listen to what he said as he's pouring out his heart. This is what it kind of sounds like to lament. He says, after describing his grief, he says, Meanwhile, where is God? So maybe that's, maybe that's a question you have whenever you see injustice and oppression in the world. Where is God? Go to him. Listen to this. I'm just going to warn you. Get ready, okay? Get ready. Just put your shield up, okay? Here we go. Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. I saw an atheist saying that. That's C.S. Lewis. That's a man who loved God who in this moment of his grief felt very far from him. Very far from him. And he hates it. He hates that his wife has died. He hates the grief he's experiencing. He hates how far he feels from God and he pours it out. I hate oppression. Do you? I hate injustice. And when we see it, when you watch those documentaries and you see story after story and broken heart after broken heart, person after person rolling through, suffering oppression, suffering injustice, in in one way it makes you feel kind of far from God. Where is he? Where is he in this? Why didn't he stop this? Why doesn't he stop it? There's nothing we can do. Why doesn't he? And the more you know about God, the harder the dilemma gets. Because he's a just God. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. He only does what is right. And he's a sovereign God. Why doesn't he intervene? Why doesn't he stop? This is the practice of lament. And I want to encourage you. And it may not be injustice or oppression. It may just be a season of suffering that you're in right now. Don't hide those feelings. Don't suppress those feelings. Press into them. Pour your heart out to God. If you write, journal your feelings. Talk it out with a friend. Lament the world as it is. Look out at it. Know that it's broken and fallen and temporary and cry over it. Recognize injustice and oppression in the world. The second point I want to move us to is found in chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. And this is what I want us to do. Remember our place in the world. So after we've recognized injustice and oppression in the world, I want us to remember our place in the world. So rampant injustice and oppression, while it may cause us to lament and it 
causes us to at times maybe even question God's activity in it, it also causes us to remember something else, that we are not God. Let's look at verse 18. The preacher says, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Oh, you needed that word this morning, didn't you? You beast. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot, who can bring him to see what will be after him. Okay, interesting, interesting little passage there. Earlier in Ecclesiastes, he makes a similar argument when he's talking about wisdom. And, he, and he's saying, yeah, you can be wise, but the person who's a fool, he suffers the same fate that you do. You both die. The wise dies just like the fool. So don't put all your hope in wisdom. It can't save you from death. And here he's saying something kind of similar, except for he kind of brings it down another level. Not only are wise people going to die just like foolish people, but people in general are going to die just like beasts, just like animals, just like creatures. So here's the reminder. You're a creature just like the ant that you stepped on when you walked outside today on the way to your car. You're a creature just like that cockroach that you can... Cockroaches down here, man. Cockroach. I hadn't ever seen a cockroach until I came to Mississippi. They're all over the place. You're no better than a cockroach because you're going to die. You're going to die. We have a beginning and we have an end. You ever thought about that? The year that you were born? That's your beginning. The year that you die, that's your end. God doesn't have a beginning or an end. He's eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. We are limited in what we can do to change the course of history. We're limited. God is not. He is infinite. So, like your pet, just like Frodo and Fru-Fru and Free-Free, all your, all, your, all your little, you know, those pet names, man. I just, like, that's actually better, though, than I'm probably going to offend, like, half the room. Um, than like actual like full person names, you know, like, <laughs> like Charlotte Elizabeth Gilbert the Third or whatever, you know, the, the pet names that people come up with. But just like your pet, just like your pet, you are a mere creature. You're both given life. See verse 19, they all have the same breath. What that means is you have breath from God. The reason you're able to breathe is because God breathed life into you. He breathes life into animals and he breathes life into humans. So like your pet, you're a mere creature, you're given life, and you both die. Like, I mean, that's a humbling thought, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, I'm going to end up just like my dog. You know, if you've ever buried a pet, 
just maybe the, or maybe the next time you do bury a pet, maybe think about that, right? Someone's going to bury you. In the same way that you're burying your pet, someone's going to bury you. You both die. You both return to the dust. And there's no advantage. You see, oh, it's such a strange little uh, phrase there in verse 19. At the very end of verse 19, do you see it? They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast. Like, really? Like, no advantage? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I walk outside, and maybe you walk home, and you feed your dogs, and you're like, uh, no, I kind of have an advantage over them. First of all, bloop, 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 bloop. Um, second of all, um, I, you're going to die unless I bring, you know, you something to eat. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, like, it feels like there's an advantage. And then, to get more serious, more theological, like, only humans are created in the image of God. So that sounds like an advantage. But don't miss what he's saying. There is, you have no advantage over your pets because neither humans nor animals can overcome their creatureliness. Not sure if that's a word, but you can't overcome your creatureliness. You're a creature. God created you. You're not the creator. That's the distinction he's making here. And when you see injustice and oppression in the world, and you come to the point where you're humbled to realize, I can't stop it. Or if you've ever been oppressed, that helpless feeling that someone's taking advantage of you and there's nothing you can do to stop it, what a reminder that you're just a creature. So a few things here I want you to see. Since you're not God, there are four things I want us to see here. First, it makes total sense that injustice and oppression don't make sense. So, right, we've already kind of confessed that sometimes we feel like it doesn't make sense that so much injustice and oppression can happen in a world that God is sovereign over. It doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes sense that it doesn't make sense to us because we are creatures. We don't have the infinite wisdom of God. So it makes sense that on the ground, we can't see a purpose in injustice or oppression or suffering. If you're suffering right now and you don't see any purpose in it whatsoever, it's because you're on the ground. And you need a bird's eye view to see the whole story, to see the ultimate purpose in all of it. And we don't have that. But it makes sense that we don't have that because you're just like your pet. You're a creature. Okay, second. You cannot ultimately get away with injustice or oppression. Think about it. If someone in power that you know or that you see on TV or a Netflix documentary, someone in power is oppressing weaker people and they're getting away with it. Or people who get away with murder, right? Got away with it. You can't, you can't get them, you can't stop them. Maybe 30 years later they even come out and they're like, hey, yeah, that happened, I did it statute of limitations, all those little uh, loopholes that people can find and they're never held accountable oh, as a reminder right here you are just a creature and the creator will one day hold you accountable for the evil that you have done so a grave warning, if you're in this room and you have power, and don't think power like president of the United States Think power. You have any power over anyone. There's anyone under you at all. So if you are a parent, you wield power. And your children are vulnerable. If you're using your power to oppress others, 
I want to remind you today, you're just a creature. And the creator, you will have to answer to him. Okay, so third. Third thing we see here is that we should treat one another with dignity. Okay, now, you're just a creature, but here's what that means. You are a creature, your neighbor is a creature, your boss is a creature, the president's a creature. We're all creatures. That means we're all on the same playing field. That means that you should never think of yourself as supreme to another human. See, uh, Jonathan Edwards has an interesting quote. He says, Christians who are but fellow worms ought to at least treat one another with as much humility and gentleness as Christ treats them. Fellow worms. You know? Man, this is so encouraging. Worms, creatures, cockroaches. You guys feel lifted up today? But we should treat one another with dignity because we're all on the same page. If you're trying to elevate yourself above someone else, you need the reminder, you're just a creature. Okay, fourth. You can enjoy your life. You can enjoy your life. There is contentment that comes in knowing I'm just a creature. So you look at all the injustice and the oppression in the world and you want to solve it all, right? You want to fix it. Your heart's broken over it. You you can't scroll through Facebook without seeing a tragic story, without weeping your eyes out over it. And you're worrying yourself to death over things that you can't stop and over things that you're not responsible for stopping. You are not the creator. You are not the sovereign God of the universe. You are just a creature who has been granted a specific lot in life. Look at verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better, this is his conclusion, nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? You can rejoice in your work. You can rejoice in your life. You can rejoice in the mundane, ordinary life that God has granted to you because he's got this. And you were never created to. You were never created to be sovereign over the world or even your own life. You're just a creature. He's the creator. Remember your place in the world third and final point rest in God's justice and sovereignty so in light of all the injustice all the oppression all the suffering that we see in the world we've already tried to say we need to lament this we need to hate this we need to weep over this we need to grieve it but lamenting it alone doesn't necessarily help our frustrations and our confusion. Remember I asked you how you felt? Maybe some of you felt, no, yeah, I'm actually kind of confused. I thought God was good. He is. Okay, well, I thought God was in control. He is. Well, I thought God had all the power to do whatever he wanted. He does. Is he just? Yep. Is he righteous? Mm Mm-hmm. Holy? Yes. Why so much injustice? Why so much oppression? How do we cope? That's the question. How do we cope? How do we not go crazy? How do we not go mad? How do we not lose our humanity in trying to cope with so much injustice, so much oppression in the world? And maybe you see it every day in the place that you work. 
Maybe you see it every day. Well, history has given us many, many avenues of dealing with this, many options, many views on how it works. What do you do in response to suffering, injustice, and oppression? And I want to share with you five, I think I have five, five bad options. So these are, these are bad options, I, I believe, in dealing with this. The first is the monastic uh, view, monasticism. Um, and that view says, in light of all the injustice, in light of all the oppression, in light of all the suffering, just deny it. Just, just suppress it. Just act, act like it's not happening. Because in reality, the physical world, it really doesn't even matter. All that matters is the spiritual. All that matters is the spiritual. And in the end, none of this is going to matter anyway. It doesn't matter. Just deny it, suppress it, act like it's not there. And, and you may be thinking, well, I'm not, you know, I don't think, I've never even heard of that word before. I don't, I don't think that's me. Have you ever thought yourself less spiritual or less holy because you question God? Maybe you've had questions like C.S. Lewis had. Maybe you felt that way, but you felt less holy to admit it. So you just suppress your feelings. So you don't deal with the pain that you feel or the sorrow that you feel from seeing all the oppression and suffering and injustice in the world, well, you're, you're denying it, and that's not sufficient for dealing with it. The second view, or the second bad option, is the stoic view, stoicism. Just push through it, because all suffering in the world, it's senseless anyway. All injustice in the world, all oppression in the world, it's just senseless. There's no point to it. There's no pur- uh, purpose to it. There's, there's no reason behind it. There's no God weaving history. No, it's just It's just the way it is. Life's just kind of hard. So just grin and bear it. Just push through. I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way. But that's not sufficient either. A third view is, is called dualism. And that's the view where you have two equal and opposite Forces, where you have God and you have Satan. You have good and you have evil. And they're at odds with one another and they're fighting. And they're equal and they're opposing forces, going back and forth against one another. And so that, in that view, God doesn't have any say in the evil that happens. God doesn't have any control over the bad stuff. Now, he may be with you to help you when bad things happen, but he can't control, he, can't, he has nothing to do with that side. He's the good side, and Satan's the one who's doing all the bad stuff to you. So he can't, he can't control it, he can't stop it, so just stop caring. Just stop caring about all the suffering in the world. Just stop caring about all the injustice that you see. Turn the TV off, don't watch, don't watch those documentaries, just keep watching The Office. Stop caring. Oh, you're suffering oppression? God can't do anything about it anyway. Stop caring. That doesn't help. The fourth view, hedonism, which, which is a philosophy that says do whatever you can by whatever means necessary to make yourself happy, whatever it is, and it's justified. Anything you do to make yourself happy is justifiable. And so in that view, you would just need to avoid Suffering, Avoid injustice. Avoid oppression. Do whatever you can to avoid it. You look out in the world, okay, who are the kinds of people who are oppressed? Who are the kinds of people? Okay, I don't want to be that kind of person, so I'm going to, you know, who's in power? Who's in control here? That's better. I'm going to, I'm going to take that route. Or suffering. Relationships cause pain, right? 
and sorrow and anguish. So just avoid messy relationships. You, pr- you probably wouldn't want to join a church. You need to avoid that stuff. Anything that could cause you grief, anything that could cause you any sorrow at all, just avoid it. Well, and then the fifth one. Um, and this is the one that some of us may struggle with, and it's moralism. That's where if bad things are happening to you, you must be doing something wrong. What have you done? Job, you know, Job's friends, those of you that are familiar with that story. Good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. And you may think, oh, I don't think like that. That's silly. Well, think about this. You see someone, as we've seen over the past few years in our country, who's shot and killed for a routine traffic stop, and they don't have a weapon on them. I saw way too many people say, well, let's look at his history. History of drugs. History of violence. What's, what's his criminal history? Before you will even make a judgment on an actual thing that happens in time, is this right or is this wrong? You say, well, hold on, let me, let me see all the facts. Let me, give me all the information first. Then I'll make a judgment on whether that was right or wrong. And again, I, I know I'm probably simplifying it, but I want us to be a people who are quick, not slow, to call injustice out, to call oppressors out, and to call evil, evil. I want us to be quick to condemn abuse. I don't want to have to wait for all the facts before I condemn, at least in my words, a man who is abusing his wife and his kids. I don't need all the facts. I don't need to know family history to say that's evil. That, so, so moralism, the, the view that, well, bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people, it's deficient. It doesn't help. There's one satisfactory view. I want you to look in your Bible with me in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 17. Honestly, this has been my favorite verse in the book so far. You know, Ecclesiastes doesn't have a ton of those quotable passages that you can put on coffee mugs and T-shirts. And, you know, you don't want to put too many of them on your children's nursery wall. You know, it's just, there just aren't that many of them. Um, You know, like, that'd be a great one, verse 3. It'd be better if you were never born, you know. Just not overly encouraging. Um, But verse 17 is. Verse 17 gets me hyped up. I didn't talk with Mitch at all about the passage or the songs, but man, the songs are perfect this week. Look look at verse 17. Let's read verse 16 together so we see it, see the flow. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. There's one satisfactory view. The confusion that all the injustice and the oppression and the suffering causes you, like, man, why? How can God be so good? How can he be so just? This is the answer that we have. Trust that God, who is a sovereign and righteous judge, will powerfully and perfectly execute justice in his time 
according to his wisdom and for his glory. I'm going to read it again. In light of all the injustice and suffering and oppression in the world, trust that God, who is a sovereign and righteous judge, will powerfully and perfectly execute justice in his time according to his wisdom and for his glory. And we all rejoice to hear that. We know that one day, our God who is in the heavens, who does all that he pleases, it will please him to come back and set this place right. He will bring every deed to account. He will judge every wicked deed. He will judge every righteous deed. He is coming. But we still have a problem. The problem that we have now, the reason that we still need to lament, and the reason that we're still often confused is because we want him to bring justice right now. Right? We want him to stop all the oppression and all the suffering and all the injustice. We want him to do it now. We want him to do it in, according to our time, according to our wisdom. Sometimes we want him to do it for our glory. But that's the problem we have. It doesn't happen right now. But I want to encourage you, as long as Jesus doesn't return today, today is not the day that everything will be set right. Kind of come to terms with that if you're struggling with this. Today's not the day. Today is not the day. And that's where I have some questions I want us to consider in light of this. The first question, why is today not the day? Why does God delay in bringing judgment and justice to the earth? Why does he delay? He delays because he loves you. He delays because he loves his people. I was converted when I was 10 years old. 10 years old. If the day of judgment had been a week sooner, I would have perished in my sin. So think about the day that you were converted, the day that you came to faith in Christ. And ask yourself, what if he had brought judgment day the week before? His delay is a loving kindness of his. His delay is so gracious. He's delaying even now. If Jesus doesn't return, today is not the day of judgment, which means there is still time. There is still hope for any of you here who have never trusted in Christ. And for any of your friends, neighbors, colleagues who don't know Jesus, there is time. Do you see how gracious God is in delaying his justice? We want it to come now. We sing how long, O Lord. We want it. We crave it. It's good. We lament the world as it is. But his delaying is an act of love for those he has chosen, those he will call, and those he has redeemed through the blood of Christ. Well, how does God execute justice then? Our second question I want us to consider. He delays because he loves us. Well, how does he execute justice? Because it says in verse 17, God will judge. He will judge. And then it says there's a time for every matter and for every work. He's going to judge the righteous. He's going to judge the wicked. He's going to judge them according to their works. Well, how does he do it, though? How does he execute justice? And he executes justice on the basis of, of his righteousness. 
You see, I, was, I think I was talking to Kevin earlier this week just about the judicial system and how it works and everything. And I, we just kind of had the question, do you ever actually find true, raw, pure justice? Even in easy cases, you know? Someone commits a crime, there's just boatloads of evidence, it's obvious, he even confesses to it. Yeah, I did it. I did it. And then there comes a sentence. How do we know that the sentence is like, you know, does it match the crime? Like, how do we know whether that's perfect justice or not? I don't know that we can. We do our best to be fair and to be honest, and we have constitutional protections against um, unjust punishments, but... I don't think we ever see perfect justice. I know as a parent, I would love to be able to wield perfect justice with my boys, but I fail so many times in knowing what's actually right and how to handle every situation. God's not like that. He is perfectly righteous. He is perfectly just. And he judges not as kind of a guess. He doesn't kind of get a bunch of people together. Well, what do you guys think, you know? He doesn't get all the angels and get in a conference room and lay out all the information of everybody. Well, this is, you know, this is all the stuff he did. What's the judgment? What's the sentence? No, he doesn't need that. He judges according to his righteousness. I want to read you uh, chapter 2, paragraph 1 from the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. It says this, The Lord our God is but one only living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will, for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal, most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. God is righteous, he is holy, he is just, and he judges us accordingly, which means none of us will get off scot-free when it comes to facing the judgment of a holy and living God. We all will get what we deserve. And here's, as amazing as it is, all that paragraph so beautiful, so rich. God, because of his character, because of his nature, he has to judge sinners. He has to, or he's no longer God. Okay? It's not an option for him. It's not a choice. Some, some judges, you know, there, there are people in our, in our systems, in our families, whatever, they can avoid it. God cannot avoid it. It's one of those things he can't do. He can't not hate sin. He can't not judge sinners. He has to do it. Here's what he doesn't have to do. Save any of us from it. He has to judge sinners. He doesn't have to spare any of them. 
He has to judge you. He doesn't have to spare you. So is there a way to escape? Is there a way to escape God's justice? The judgment that he righteously brings down on sinners? Is there any way to escape it? Not on our own. Not on our own, we can't. You can't amass a long list of good deeds to try to outweigh the bad. Because it's not about the bad deeds, it's not about the good deeds, it's about your attitude against God and his glory. You have sinned against him. That's what matters, that's the emphasis. Him, God, it's who you have sinned against, not the content of the sin itself. And you've sinned against a most holy, most glorious, most just God. So you have nothing in yourself that can help you get out of this predicament. But years later after Ecclesiastes was written, years later, God the Father sent his son. God himself took on flesh. And Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth, lived a sinless life, faced true oppression and true injustice in his trial. They came up with nothing against him and they sentenced him to death anyway. True injustice, true oppression. And he hangs on a cross and even though sinful men unjustly hung him there, it was God himself who is righteously pouring out his wrath and judging his son so that you can go free. Jesus, when he's dying on the cross, we have evidence that God visited justice on his son so that you will never have to face it. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. He has to do it. But in his grace, he has chosen to love mere creatures like you and me. Sending his son to take our place. In our place condemned, he stood. He bore everything we deserve. He was judged, so we never have to be. He faced God's justice, so we never have to. So, since Jesus endured the greatest injustice, you need to know something this morning. You need to know that you're not alone. If you currently in the past or in the future ever experience oppression, if you're ever taken advantage of by someone more powerful than you, you need to know that you're not alone. That Jesus was the most innocent man who ever lived and who suffered the greatest injustice in his trial and in his uh, sentence and in his execution. So Jesus knows when you run to him in prayer, he doesn't have to be taught. He doesn't have to be counseled. He knows what it's like, so you're not alone. But second, you can escape this morning. This morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus, you can escape divine justice by means of divine grace, by running to the cross of Christ and clinging to it and trusting in Jesus alone. And then third, you can long you can long for a much better day. We have hope this morning. 
that even though we lament and we grieve the world as it is, we long for the world as it will be when God himself comes down and sets all things right. And in that future reality, in that future world, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, there will be no oppression because all power that God has granted will be purely divided and executed. There will be no injustice. God's justice will prevail. There will be no suffering. Sin will be a long and distant memory. We will rejoice in God's presence, in the fullness of his presence. There will be no more lamenting. There will be only joy. What do we do now? Before we move to the table, what do we do now? As we lament... And as we long for a better day, for a better place, for a better age, how should we live? And here's what you need to know this morning, if you have any qualms about it. God takes sides in this conflict. I hope you've already seen that and it's been apparent to you, but I want it to be abundantly clear. He takes sides. He isn't neutral when people are oppressed. He takes sides. And God is always on the side of those who are oppressed. He is always on the side of those who are oppressed. And I want to recommend a couple passages. I'm I'm not going to read them this morning. Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 58. If If you would, I would encourage you this afternoon to read those passages. God is always on the side of the oppressed. So two things as application. We've already said it in a different way. But first, if you are in a position of power, if you wield influence in your work, in your life, wherever you are, and if you are using it to take advantage of others, I beg you to repent now. I beg you to repent now. If you're oppressing others and then trying to worship God in spirit and truth, you're failing you're failing. Repent now and turn to Jesus and believe. You're opposing God when you oppress others. And then finally, what about, what about for those of us who are like, well, I don't know what to do. I know when I look out at the world and I see all this injustice and all this oppression, I hate it, and I, but I'm just like standing here with my arms up. What do I do? Here are three recommendations. How can we help relieve injustice and oppression? three things. First, I I believe is the easy one. Intercede. Intercede. Pray up. Pray up. How often do you pray for the weak and the needy and the poor and the afflicted and those who are oppressed in our world? If you need help, watch a few Netflix documentaries. I can recommend a couple to you. It increases your prayer life for sure. Decreases your sleep, but increases your prayer life. Intercede. The second one is the one that's more difficult, more nuanced, you know, how do we do it exactly, but it's something that we need to do. Advocate. We don't just need to pray up, we need to speak up. We need to speak up for those who do not have a voice. Because those who are being oppressed, they're being oppressed for a reason. They have no power. They have no influence. They don't know someone who knows someone who knows someone who can put an end to it. No one cares. No one cares what they say. No one even believes them. 
Or in the case of the unborn, they literally cannot speak. So let's be quick to speak up. And that can happen in a a number of, of ways that we don't have time to dive into today. But have the disposition of being quick to speak out against oppression, to speak up for those who are oppressed. And then finally, you know, at minimum, we need to listen. We need to not just pray up or speak up. Sometimes we just need to shut up, you know? We need to recognize that we are mere creatures. We need to recognize that if we've never been there, we might not know exactly what it's like to be there. I have that opportunity two times a month. Two times a month, I meet with people who have experienced things that I've never dreamed of experiencing in my life, and I literally spend the entire hour, one hour, one week, one hour, two weeks later, listening. Listening, hearing them. And then I ask questions, because I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to be pulled over for no reason. I don't know what it's like to have a father who abandoned me when I was two years old. I don't know what that's like. And the beautiful thing about the diversity of stories in this room is that we can listen to each other and then know how to best advocate for those who have no voice. So in light of that, as we, as we move to the table, um, I, I want to encourage you, first of all, if you're visiting with us, the way we take the, the Lord's Supper, the way we come to the table is we invite all who are in Christ to come and rejoice with us. We, we want you to come and take the elements and go back to your seats. And we gather as friends and family. And we don't, uh, this week we're not going to do it corporately. We're just going to do it individually. So one person can pray over the elements. Um, I would encourage it to be slow, you know, and just take time to reflect and to confess uh, your, your own sin in some cases. Um, but I want you to do that. But as you do, I want to encourage you to have a couple things on your mind. First, you deserve God's full justice to be poured out on you. How mindful are you of that? You have sinned against a holy God. He has to judge. He doesn't have to spare you from it. But he's chosen to do it. We eat this bread, we drink this cup to remind us that Jesus on the cross took our place, bore our shame, suffered divine justice so we can experience divine grace and divine love forever. I pray that you would be mindful of that. And also as you come, I want you to be mindful of those who are oppressed in our world. There are even brothers and sisters in Christ around our world who are currently being oppressed. Would you pray for them? Would you pray for those in our society, in our country, in our city who have no one speaking up for them, who have no one speaking out for them? Would you pray for them now? Jesus came to redeem us from ourselves. He came to redeem us from our sin. And he came to usher in a new age where his justice will reign, his peace will reign, his joy will fill the earth forever. Let's lament the world as it is and let's long for that day together. Let me pray for us and then I'll invite you to come. Father, help us to hate. Help us to hate what you hate. 
Help us to hate the world as it is. May we not turn a blind eye to those who are suffering around us. May we not brush off those who are oppressed with political arguments. May we simply and humbly see that we are mere creatures. You are a sovereign God. The world is messed up. We deserve to face your wrath and you have graciously come to set all things right and to bring us with you. Father, I ask that you would put a stop, put an end to all oppression, to all abuse. I know that day's coming. You will judge both the wicked and the righteous. But would you send it quickly? Would you come quickly, Lord Jesus, and set things right? And in the meantime, may we be known for our advocacy for those who have no voice. May we be known as a people who are daily interceding for those who are oppressed by those in power. And may we be known as a people who are taking advantage of your patience and your long-suffering in delaying your justice. May we be a gospel-centered people, a Great Commission people, sharing the truth of the gospel to as many as we can until that day of reckoning finally comes. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I want to invite you to stand and come and get the elements and go back to your seat.